the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to be with you, and good morning, and Happy New Year to you. Uh, you know, every year when we come to a new beginning, there's always that uh, opportunity in my mind to to think about, um, you know, we want to need a, a new sermon series or where our folks are and where we're going. Uh, we've been going through the book of Romans uh, verse by verse. And, and so I thought, well, you know, maybe we need to take a little time out from our study in the book of Romans and, and look at some other things. And then I went back and looked at Romans and thought, well, good grief. I, I don't know that I could pick a topic that is better for us as we approach the new year than where we are. And it just kind of reminds me that, that God kind of knows where we are and where we're going to be. And as we walk through a text, studying a book together, um, it always applies to where we are. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. We've been walking through the book of Romans for several months now, and we've made our way to chapter 6. And the last time that we were in the book of Romans together in chapter 6, I, I invited a friend of mine, Preston Gillum, uh, to help discuss uh, what we discover in the first 11 verses of chapter 6. And so we sat on the stage a couple of weeks ago and kind of uh, discussed and talked about chapter 6 in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, uh, the first 11 verses. Now, if you were not here, uh, let me encourage you to go back to our website and, and watch that particular Sunday. It was amazing. God just really um, uses Preston in such an amazing way to make very difficult things simple. And, um, and so it was just kind of fun to unpack that and, and to ask him those questions and watch uh, as he shared with us. So if you've not watched that, let me encourage you to go to our website and, and, and go back and see that or download our app and you can watch it on your phone as, uh, as we move forward because it was just really, uh, I think, a, a great moment for us as we unpack some of those critical truths uh, for each one of us. Now, let me just kind of back up and, and, and show you where we've come thus far in our study in the book of Romans. Paul's writing a letter to the church in Rome. There are in the church in Rome both Jews and Gentiles. But they are believers. They had come to a place that they had recognized that Jesus indeed had come and died and rose again, and they had placed their trust in him. And so Paul, in the first part of the book, in the first four chapters, he really drills down to say, let's, let's, let's set the stage and make it very clear that all of us, every person that has ever been born, is a sinner separated from God. We are a sinner by nature, we inherited a sin nature from Adam and by choice because we sin. And we are a sinner by nature, Paul says. We are born into sin. The reason we sin is because we're a sinner. We're not a sinner because we sin. We sin because we're a sinner. We're born into sin. And he expands on that in the first four chapters and says, and guess what? There's nothing you can do about it. You are separated from God, 
and there's nothing you can do. You can't go to church and fix it. You can't be baptized and fix it. You can't keep the law because there were Jewish people within the church and many of them felt like, well, you know, you can keep the law and, and, and do what God says and you earn that. And Paul says, no, you don't earn it. It is not by works. It is through the grace of God and his grace alone that you and I can find forgiveness. So for the first four chapters, he just really doubles down so that there's no misunderstanding that all of us are sinners. Those of us in here, just like those out there. And Paul recognized that sometimes we have a tendency to see ourselves in the church different than them. He said, you know what? Just like those people out there are without God, those of us in here are without God. Sinners need to be saved. Then when he gets to chapter 4 and 5, the book kind of opens up. First four chapters are depressing. And then it kind of opens up a little bit. And Paul says, and guess what? What you can't do for yourself, God's done for you in Jesus. God has provided for us a Savior. And in the latter part of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5, Paul says, you know what? God has given us a Savior, and we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of what we've done, but we are saved. In fact, Paul says that we have a unique relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the life he lived, because of the death he died, because of the resurrection, and because you and I are connected to the death burial and resurrection of Christ, we can experience power over sin. Now, when Jesus dies for us, we, we experience salvation. We are saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death, separation from God. When we accept Jesus, he forgives us and we're saved from the penalty. No longer is that my penalty. I go to heaven because I place my faith and trust in Jesus. But Paul says it doesn't stop there. What God wants to do in our life is give us power to overcome sin in the daily experience. And so in chapter 6, Paul begins to talk about how that we can walk in victory. And it really is going to change the trajectory of this letter as he begins to talk to us about how we are to live our life. And what he says is this, God changes us. He's talking to Christians. And he says this to Christians, to believers. He says, God changes us from the inside out. And that's important. You, you, listen, you can take a pig and wash him and clean him up and put a tuxedo on him. But you, you put a tuxedo on a pig and he'll look good for a little while. But the first time he walks by a mud puddle, guess what he's going to do? He's going to walk right back into that even with a tuxedo on because there's no change that's taken place on the inside. You can change him on the outside, but you haven't done anything. And so what Paul says is God changed us on the inside. And in chapter 6, he introduces that concept. And then he moves forward from there to talk about how we are to live in light of that reality. And what he says is this, because God's changed us from the inside, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are not dominated by sin. We can say no to sin. You and I can live the life that God has called us to because we are not under the dominion or the power of sin. Now, the best way I can describe it to you is this, and we're kind of setting the stage 
for three practical suggestions that, that I can make from what Paul tells us. The best way I can describe sin for a Christian, for a believer, is this. It's like a wild animal in a zoo. If you ever go to the zoo and you look at the lion behind the glass or behind the, the bars in a zoo, that lion is wild, strong, and capable of killing you. But as long as you're on this side of the barrier, you're safe. Even though the lion has all the power to destroy you, he cannot destroy you as long as you're on this side of the barrier. The only way he can hurt you is if you crawl over the barrier. You remember that news story a few years ago? I think it was in the Cleveland Zoo. There was a little boy that climbed over the, the fence in a gorilla containment and, and he fell to the bottom and they, they ended up having to kill the gorilla because of the little boy. Now, I mean, everybody got all upset about killing the gorilla. They, they said, you know what? We had to kill the gorilla to save the little boy's life. Well, the only reason the little boy was in danger is because he crawled over the top of the fence. And so what Paul is saying is that sin, because of what God's done for you, sin has been put behind a, a barricade. And the only way it has any impact on your life is if you crawl over the barricade. And so he begins to tell us how to live in light of that reality. So if you have your Bible, look with me if you will. And uh, we're going to kind of unpack these uh, few verses, chapter uh, 6. We're going to back up to verse 11. We've already talked about a verse 11 last time we were together. Um, but, but it's a key verse. In, in fact, in the, in, in the first 10 verses, Paul talks about what we need to know. We need to know that when Jesus died, we died with him. When he was raised, we were raised with him. And he uses the word know in, in those first 10 verses numerous times saying, this is, this is important. You got to know this, okay? So you engage your mind. Now that we've engaged, now that we know this stuff, Paul in verse 11 says, I want to engage not just your mind, I want to engage your heart. It's not just important that you know this, you need to believe this. You need to know it deep inside. And so he says in verse 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, the, the, your Bible might translate that word consider, reckon. Reckon yourself dead. That kind of gives us indication that Paul was from the south, right? He was from south Judea because he used the word reckon. We use that word reckon sometimes. Are you going to come over to our house? Well, I reckon we'll come you know, around two or three o'clock. Well, that's not the way he's using it. That word consider is a better translation of that word than reckon. Uh, though the word reckon literally does mean that. Dead reckoning means that I recognize and I move toward that. He said, consider this for yourselves. Know this deep in your heart. Not only do you know it in your mind, you believe it with all your heart. You are dead to sin and alive to God. Now, when you believe that in your heart, 
that I'm dead to sin. Sin has no control over me, no power over me. It's like we talked about when we were in our discussion together. A dead man cannot be tempted. It doesn't make any difference what you do to him. It's not going to be impacted by what happens around him. And Paul says, you can't tempt a person who is dead to sin. And guess what? You are dead to sin. Engage your heart. But then he turns the corner in verse 12 and says, not only do we need to know some things and we need to believe some things, he said, we need to do some things. And he engages our will. And so in verse 12, he says this, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but... Present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now in verse 12, Paul engages the will. And he says, not only do you need to know these truths and believe them, you need to act on them. You need to live it out. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your body. There's a command that Paul gives. In fact, this is the first command that Paul gives in this letter that he writes to the church at Rome. And what I love about Paul, he never gives a command that he doesn't tell us why and he doesn't tell us how. And in the text, he has already laid out the why, and he's going to provide for us an understanding of the how. He says, we are alive to God. And so in chapter 6, verse 12, he kind of offers a warning, if you will. He knows that he's writing to believers in Rome, and he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, the very fact that Paul would say that gives indication that it's possible for sin to reign in your body, even as a Christian, right? He wouldn't say don't do it if it wasn't possible for it to be done. Maybe, maybe Paul knew something about the people that lived in Rome. Maybe he knew that there were some who had given themselves to a, to a life or a pattern or a lifestyle that was contrary to what God said. They had given themselves over to sin. They offered all kinds of excuses and reasons why they did that and why they couldn't overcome it. And Paul said, no, I'm going to just give you a simple command. Stop it. Stop. Don't do that anymore. Don't move in that direction, but move in another direction. Uh, because left unchecked, sin will destroy you. But the warning is, as I mentioned, also a command. And this is what I love about a command. God never gives us a command in the Bible that we cannot keep. When he says to us, do not let sin reign in your life, the reason he tells us not to do this is because it's possible to live that way. It's possible for us to obey this command. It's possible to say no to sin. It's possible to say no to temptation. He is ultimately saying that we, because of this command, have to take responsibility and act to stop sin from dominating our life. 
if we don't do anything, it's possible that sin will begin to dominate our life. We'll find ourselves under the control of sin, moving in a direction that we do not want to move. There was a, a little saying that mom wrote in the front of her Bible. She had all kinds of little sayings, but one of them was kind of interesting. And it simply said this, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. And, and you know what? All of us know that to be true, right? We know that the temptation looks so good and we take it and it takes us further than we want to go. We didn't intend to go this far. We didn't intend for this to happen. And, and we didn't intend to stay there that long. We thought we could do that and, and, and step out and everything be okay. And suddenly we find ourselves a slave to it, dominated, left unchecked, sin destroys our life. So Paul comes along and offers a command and says, hey, stop. Don't let sin dominate your life. And then in verse 13, he tells us how to do that because it's easy to say don't do that the, the, the obvious question is okay well how and so in verse 13 Paul begins to tell us the actions that we need to take in order to to fulfill the command of verse 12 and to live out the reality of 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 applying what I know believing it and and, and living it through my will in verse 11. And then he ends by encouraging us in the operation of God's grace to say because of God's grace, he gives us the power to overcome sin. And he does that in verse 14. So what are the three steps that maybe we can take from this text that help us move in that direction? If I want to become victorious over sin, I want to become victorious over the temptations that challenge me. You remember when Preston was here and he said, he, he referred to it as those besetting sins, those things that we often struggle with over and over and over again. And isn't it amazing that we seem to struggle with the same ones? Satan's kind of consistent in the way he attacks. And the reason is because it works. Every time Satan attacks, it's almost always in the same area of my life and these same sins. And if we're not careful, we'll give in to that sin and we'll come to the fact that we just think, well, you know what? Maybe this is my cross to bear. Maybe this is a challenge that I have to face. I'm just never going to gain victory over this. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You need to stop. And then he gives us indication in how we can do that in verse 13. So let me just give you three steps that I think Paul provides for us as we look at that. First of all, he says we need to make a decision. It begins in our mind. It begins in our thought processes. We need to make a decision. And, and, and the decision is simply this. We need to decide that we are dead to sin and alive to God. And I need to live like it. I, I need to believe it. I need to know it, believe it, and live like it. I, I need to stop letting sin reign in my life. Stop. Here's, here's where it begins. Stop making excuses for sin in your life. You see, the reason that most of us struggle is because there's sin in our life that we know is there. We allow to remain because we excuse it. We make excuses for it. 
Oh, I, I know that I struggle with anger. I've always had an anger problem. You know, we do have some Irish in us. My whole family struggled with anger. My whole family has anger issues. It's just a part of my temperament. It's the part of the way I am. And, 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 and you know what? I, there's not anything I can do about that. That's just the way I am. Some people would say, well, you know, I, I struggle with lust, but I'm young and I have a strong sex drive. And you know, here, here's an interesting twist of what we do to excuse our sin. God made me this way. God made, he's the one that gave me these desires that I have. And if God gave me these desires and, and I can't control the desires, well, 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 ultimately it's all right if I live it out because God's the one that made me that way. Sometimes we want to say this, well, I, I know the Bible says that's wrong, but under these circumstances, I mean, given the circumstances that I'm facing, you've got to understand what I'm up against. You've got to understand the world that we live in. You've got to understand the day and age that we are a part of. You've got to understand the, the challenges that we face. The Bible says that's wrong, but I'm not really sure it's wrong under the circumstances of our time. And we continue to make excuses for our sin. And the reason we become a slave to sin is because we allow it to remain in our life because we excuse it. It's there, and we know it's there, and we allow it to remain. Sometimes we don't just excuse it. Sometimes we downplay sin in our life. We have a tendency to rename it, don't we? Politicians are especially good at this. They just kind of rename it. You know what I love about the world that we live in today? And I don't understand why politicians don't know this. And I hope you understand this. Do you understand that everything you say is recorded? You and I don't, and for a politician, they don't get to say something today to one group and say something totally different tomorrow to another group and pretend that I didn't say that yesterday because we can, we can show them what they said yesterday. Well, wait a minute. You said this well I misspoke no you didn't you lied no I misspoke I didn't mean to yes you did and you know what we have a tendency to do the same thing before I really throw you know every bit of my attack against the politician isn't it true that we have the same tendency today we kind of water down sin so that it doesn't look as bad and it doesn't sound as bad. We call it an affair today. We don't call it adultery. I mean, that sounds so harsh and mean. It was just an affair. It was just a, a one-night stand. It's not, it's not what the Bible calls fornication. I mean, come on. Let's just recognize. And so what do we do with sin? We excuse it. We invent new words for it. We rename it. We somehow even come to the place where we blame God for what we've done. And you know what Paul said? Stop. You need to make a decision that what God's word says is true. And I believe it so in my heart that I declare today that I am dead to sin. Now go back to what Press and I talked about when we were on the stage. And he talked about those besetting sins. And do you remember what he said? 
And I loved it that he, he became so raw and said, the besetting sin that I have sitting up here is that as soon as I'm done and I sit down, I, I know that the voice that I'm going to hear is say, you did a horrible job. You should have said this. You should have said that. You said, uh, too many times. And you begin to critique yourself. And he said, it's self-criticism. And I begin to beat myself up. And I believe that. And, and, but you remember what he said? What is the answer to that? To say, no, I'm dead to that. I don't have to listen to that. The Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. I don't have to listen to that. That's not God's voice. That's Satan's voice. And so we make a decision. Secondly, we have to choose to act daily. That's what Paul is saying in verse 13 when he says, don't present your members Look at it in verse 13. Do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. You need to choose to act daily. The, the, the word present that he uses in that text, when he says that, that, that we are not to present, he's saying that we are not to make ourselves available. We are not to offer. Do not make your members of your body available to sin. Do not offer them. What, what he's ultimately saying is that we are to orient our life around God rather than sin. I choose, it, it literally means this, I choose to have nothing to do with those things God's word tells me to stay away from. I choose to have nothing to do with that because God hates it. Now, some of you are saying, well, I, I just don't. He's saying this, don't let sin get a foothold in your life. Do you understand that it's not any different than the commitment that you make when you get married? I made a vow when I got married. And when Tanya and I got married, and, and a part of that vow was that as a result of the union and the uniting of our lives together, I'm going to give up all other women. Period. Forever. Done. Done. And it was a decision. And I want to ask you a question. Is it possible? Of course it is. Because it was a decision. And so ultimately Paul is saying, hey, stop. Make the decision that you are not going to allow yourself to be given to sin as an instrument to unrighteousness, but instead give yourself to God. And, and throughout Scripture... The Bible gives indication as to how we can do that. We could spend hours talking about those resources that the scriptures provide for us and telling us how to overcome sin. Because what I want you to understand, even though you and I are not subject to sin and not under the domination of sin, we still fight it. It's still real. It's still there. When I think about that, I think about what the what James tells us in his book, when he tells us that if we're to avoid sin, listen, one of the things that we need to do is avoid the opportunities for sin. You know what that means? That means there's some places you really shouldn't go. To walk into those places is to put yourself in a position of temptation. There are some things you don't need to watch. There are some things you don't need to look at. You and I need to be aware of where we are and not put ourselves in the position where we have an opportunity to sin. You know, we, we understand that 
simple ways with an alcoholic, right? A person who's an alcoholic, what's well, one of the first things you say is you can't go to a bar anymore. You don't need to be around that. Why would you, if you're an alcoholic, recovering alcoholic, why would you want to put yourself in a position where you're tempted all the time? And the same thing goes for us as believers. What is that besetting sin? Don't put yourself in a position where that sin can be tempting to us. I'm dead to that. Avoid the opportunities. Another thing James tells us that I think is important, invite accountability into our life. If we're going to live free of the temptation of sin, then if I've got a besetting sin that constantly badgers me, constantly bothers me, then you know what? The Bible tells us confess your sins to one another. Not that I can receive forgiveness from somebody else, but that you can help me. Hey, would you help me? Would you hold me accountable? I've got a good friend and I think every one of us need an accountability partner. Let me just say this to you. If you're a man, it's got to be a man. And if you're a woman, it's got to be a woman. But you need an accountability partner. Somebody that you can actually trust. And you could share the most horrible things you're struggling with. And that person holds you accountable. And I've got a person in my life that I can say, you know what? I'm really struggling with this. And, and it's really amazing when I have this struggle in my life and I share with him that that person calls me. And you know what's really fun is that God seems to prompt them to call at the very time that I need the phone call where he calls and says, hey, how are you doing with this thing you told me about? How are you doing with that? You're still struggling with that? Are you able to overcome? So the Bible tells us those truths that we are in. And here's another one. It just kind of encompasses all of it. The spiritual disciplines. If you're going to overcome sin in your life, you need to be involved in reading the Bible every day. At the beginning of a new year, this is an opportunity for you to do that. Don't read an, old, an entire chapter. Just read a paragraph. But every day, get in the Word of God. Every day, pray. Every day, discipline yourself to make this a part of the pattern of your life. How is it that Jesus himself was able to overcome? Was, was through it, the, the spiritual disciplines. And if Jesus himself had to commit to spiritual disciplines, how much more important is it for us? That gives me an opportunity to give a commercial. I told you that we would have some books that Preston wrote about spiritual disciplines and they're available in the um, in home point today, you can pick that up. But those spiritual disciplines. Well, third thing. So what do we do? We make a decision. And, and then not only do we make a decision, but we act on that decision. And the third thing that we do, he tells us in this text, is that we are to serve God. Present yourself to God. Don't present yourself and the members of your body to Satan, but instead present yourself to God. And in and, and its present tense, there is, there is a daily action. I am to present the whole person daily before God. I'm to begin every day this year saying, God, when I get up in the morning, I give you today my body, my soul, and my spirit. I'm yours. I'm reporting for duty today. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to live? What is it you want me to accomplish? As I orient my life around God, and as I focus my attention on him, and I yield the members of my body to service for him, suddenly I find the power to overcome sin in my life. He says that we are to serve God. And that becomes a key teaching in Paul's writings. 
We're going to see this again over in chapter 12, verse 1. Very familiar verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, look, he uses that word again, your spiritual service of worship. As I give myself to God in service, as an act of worship, I have the ability to overcome sin in my life. Serving him means that I have no place left over for sin. So what does Paul say in those four verses? And how critical for us to begin the year. He says, listen, if you're a believer, God changed you from the inside out. And you don't have to be a slave to sin. God has given you the power to overcome. So grab hold of the power and live the life that God has called you to. Make a decision today to believe, yes, I am dead to sin. I am alive to God and I believe it so in my heart to the point that I'm going to consider it to be true for me and I'm going to live it out and live my life as if I am dead to sin. And when the temptations come, I'm just going to whisper, you know what, I'm dead to that. That's, that's, that's not appealing to me anymore. I'm done. And I'm going to turn my back on that. I'm not going to present myself in a position where uh, opportunities of sin can happen. I'm going to invite accountability in my life. I'm going to practice these spiritual disciplines. I'm going to choose to act as God calls. And I'm going to serve God and report for duty every day. And my friend, if you begin this year that way, you're going to live in the victory that God has called you to. That's what God's calling you to. And my prayer is that you'll do that as you move forward throughout this year. Isn't it fun that we can just walk through verse by verse and happen to come to this place for a new beginning in this place as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message that you've given us today. We're all looking for things that we can do and changes that we can make in our life. What we need today is your power, your strength, so that we can walk in the victory you've called us to. So much of what you want us to have, we never access because we never find victory in our life. And today we've discovered how we can move toward that. We believe what you said, that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we died. The old person's dead. We received a new nature in us. And we can live victorious over sin. It can't hurt us unless we crawl over the wall. And so, Father, we pray that you will give us the ability to live in such a way that we keep it behind the wall. To live as you've called us to to walk in the victory that you've claimed for us. In Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com. 
to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us. 